So glad that uh, you're here today on this very special Sunday. Um, you know, it's interesting, the culture that we live in is a very fast-paced culture. And I think because of technology and cell phones, et cetera, it, it's really operating at warp speed. And one of the things we admire in our, in, in our day and age, which I think is kind of funny, is the ability to so-called multitask. I really don't believe in multitasking, to let you know that up front, but, but we think that we can multitask. I try to multitask. You probably try to multitask. And if you multitask too much, let me tell you where you're headed for. You're headed for something called burnout. Burnout. And burnout is when you've simply exhausted your emotional or psychological or spiritual resources. You're at the end of your rope, as we say. So if you are not burned out right now, many times you're kind of at the, at the edge of it. And, and I think I've been both at the edge of burnout and burned out in different stages and seasons in my life. And, and burnout or being near burnout is not a good place to be. It's like, you know, those warning lights on, on your dashboard that's blinking and you know you need to take care of it, but you don't. I had a friend of mine and her, her method for many years of dealing with car problems, it was to turn up the volume. So if she heard something wrong, she would just turn up the volume louder on the car. But eventually that problem, if you would, is gonna come home to roost. And many times it does in the form of burnout, burnout. So. A while back, many years ago actually, uh, I, I read something in a book years ago, decades ago, that really helped me to understand the concept of what burnout was and really to engage in what I wanna call an elusive concept that helped me deal with the burnout. And so today, not right now, but later on the message, I wanna share with you what was shared with me, this elusive concept that's I think a kind of a cure to burnout. It's something that we all kinda know, but we don't know. It's something that's in a sense mysterious, but something that's very plain once we start to see it and engage in it. And we'll get to that in a few moments, I promise. But right now, let's look at our passage. It's gonna give us a clue to what that is. In Romans chapter eight, we're in the goat the greatest of all time, the greatest chapter of all time, Romans chapter eight. If you have a Bible, go to Romans eight. If not, it'll be the screen in front of you. Paul is writing this letter. He's talking about two kinds of lives right now. You're either in this lifestyle or you're in that lifestyle. And this lifestyle has one result and the other lifestyle has the other results or consequence. Here's what he says. Romans 8, 9, and 11. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh or the realm of the self, but in the realm of the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. You may want to underline that, lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So he's saying you're either in or you're out. You're either living for yourself or living for God. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. So in other words, because we're all human beings here, because we're all sinners, we're born into this broken, fallen world, we're all gonna die one day. That's the reality. But if God's spirit's in your life, he's gonna give you life. You'll have new life and eternal life because of what he's done for you. That's the good news. Verse 11, I love verse 11. It's a great, great verse. Check it out. 
says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. There's that phrase again, he lives in you. So think about this. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. If you've said yes to God and yes to Christ, God's spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that's some serious power, lives inside of you. He says there are two kinds of life, a life centered on self and a life centered on God in Christ. The life centered on self, he says, is slow suicide. It's just slow suicide. It doesn't mean we don't love ourselves, we don't take care of ourselves, but if the self and your ego is all what your life is about, that is a form of slow suicide. We'll look at more of that next week. But basically what he's saying is this, is that your choices equal your destiny. Your choices equal your destiny. And in that, Paul is talking to us about this whole concept of what he calls in, in Greek, soteria. Soteria. So what Paul would do many times was he would use words that were in, in commonplace in the Greco-Roman culture. For, for example, like the word gospel. The word gospel was not a religious term and a theological term at first. The word gospel was a secular term. It was mainstream. It was hip jargon. Paul took that word to use it to explain what God had done for us in Christ. He called it the gospel. You want to hear a real gospel? Here's the gospel, he would say. The same thing he did with this Greek word, soteria. It meant salvation. Salvation at first was not a Christian term. It was a term being thrown around during this time by the Stoics, by the Epicureans, who had these different philosophies, these ways of life, and said, hey, we wanna show you this is the way to soteria. This is the way to salvation. This is how you do it. So Paul takes that word from mainstream culture, soteria, salvation, and says, hey, friends, this is the real salvation. This is the real soteria. It would be like him, if Paul were here today, I think he would say, he would talk about purpose or meaning because people are searching for purpose. They're searching for meaning. We're searching for happiness. And he would say, if you want real happiness, if you want real meaning and real purpose, then here it is. It's found in God, in Christ, him living inside of you. And that's what he's doing here in this passage. And so many times when Paul talks about soteria, salvation, he does it in a, in a three-stage ways. And, and there are three words, I think, that will help us understand this whole concept and reality of soteria as he unpacked it to us. Three words. And then after that, we will get to the elusive concept, all right? But this gives us background. The first word that will help us understand salvation is the fact that it has happened. It has happened. It has happened. So when he talks about salvation, he's talking about it as a past event. God did something in time, space, history through the person of Christ. Christ lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose again on the third day that we could be forgiven, that we could have life now and for forever. That's a past event. It has happened. 
Also, he will talk about salvation as an event that's possibly happened to you. If you have said yes to God in Christ Jesus, if you've received this new life that he has for you, it's happened. It's happened. To use an old Baptist term, you're saved, okay? You're saved. And we know that Paul's experience was unique. He was on a road headed toward a town called Damascus. And when he was on this road, a light from heaven blinded him and spoke to him. He had a really dramatic conversion experience, if you would. And the voice basically said, Paul, what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. You're doing it wrong. Wake up. And at that moment, the light blinded him. It blinded Paul. And I thought about that. It really just kind of hit me this morning, so I've not processed this, so this is dangerous. But here you go. Why not? It's Super Bowl Sunday. You just hit me. I'm a little slow. So think about the story that I really like in the Bible where this guy has been blind since birth. And when Jesus was here, he touched him and healed him. And then you had the people, the religious fundamentalists following up with this heel guy going, hey, who's this Jesus like? What is he like? What does he do? What does he believe in? What's his politics? Blah, 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 blah. And the blind guy goes, who can now see? He goes, I don't know. I don't know if he's good or bad, if he's at the right or the left or somewhere in between. I don't know anything he said, but I once was blind, but now I see. So think about that. That's what God used to bring this person into soteria salvation. I once was blind, now I see. Paul's story was, I once could see, but now I'm blind, right? How's that for hijinks? So God uses whatever means necessary in our lives to wake us up to his reality of salvation. Now, God did restore Paul's sight later on, but he used that blindness to humble him into the reality of who God was in Christ. So salvation is a past event. It has happened. Christ said, it is finished. It's done. It's done. The second word that helps us is that salvation, soteria, if you would, is also happening. It's ongoing. So it happened. God rescues us. He shows us who he is, what we need to do, how we need to turn to him, receive this grace. And then he invites us into this relationship where he comes to live inside of you. How many times did he say that in our passage today? If the spirit of God is in you, if Christ's spirit is in you, if he's in you, if the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, if he's in you, that means that there's an ongoing nature, a process, if you would, of you and I growing and our relationship with God. You're not just, hey, I'm saved, you know, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Catholic, whatever denomination you wanna associate with, I, I've, got, I've, I've got God figured out, I'm in, and now I can go and live however the heck I wanna live. That's not how it is. God saved you, if you would. It happened for a reason, so that he can take your life and change your life and transform your life moment by moment and day by day. So it's happening. It's all happening. If you said yes to God, his spirit's in your life and he's gonna give you the power to grow. Well, sometimes we forget about that. It's like um, 
years ago, I've told the story before, but years ago I, I, I was, I would have to borrow my uncle's lawnmower to mow my yard. So I would walk, he lived about, I don't know, a few blocks around the corner from me. I would walk a few blocks, get the lawnmower, push it back to my yard, and then mow the yard. And, and, and I remember, I was thinking, this is a heavy lawnmower. And I would push that thing and push that thing and mow the lawn and then wheel it back to my uncle's garage. Then the next you know, weekend come, I would go get it, wheel it back out, push, push, push. I was thinking, this is a heavy lawnmower. I remember when we lived in the Carolinas, my dad brought my brother and I a brand new yellow lawnmower from Kmart. Really quality. But I was thinking, that Kmart mower is much better than this thing. So as summer progressed, it got to the end of summer in August, it's sweating. I don't know if it gets humid here in the summer a little bit, if you haven't noticed that. And I was just sweating and, and, and I was mowing and, and I, that's about 25% through the yard and, that, and I slipped. And when I slipped, it kind of bent the, the handle or the handlebars of this lawnmower and it, and it went, Arr! I go, oh no, I broke my uncle's mower. That's not good. But what happened was this, when I did this and the, I slipped and the, and the steering wheel or whatever you call it, the handles went up. I'm a real yard guy, as you can tell. And the mower started to take off by itself, like magic. And what I discovered that day was that was a lawnmower. It was a self-propelled lawnmower. I had been pushing and sweating that thing the whole dang summer. Hashtag, I'm an idiot, yes. So it just hit me too that many times I kind of treat my relationship, my ongoing it's happening relationship with God the same way. I, I strive and I push, I strive and I push and I work and I forget the fact that his power, <laughs> the power that raised him from the dead is living inside of little old me. And he can empower me to do things that I can't do. So, so many times I need to stop sweating and toiling and pushing and just yield to God's spirit that's inside of me, that's inside of you. So salvation is, it's happened. It is happening. It's all happening. He's working in your life now. And three, number three, the third word is it will happen. There's a future tense to it. And that's pointing to the second coming of Christ. That's pointing to the eternal life that he gives to us. So salvation, so Terea, if you would, is a past event, a past historical event. It's a present reality, he's in you, and it's a future expectation, both personal and historical, if you would. So the question is, are you, are you living in that? Are you living in this salvific experience that God has given to you? Has it happened to you yet? It either has or hasn't. You can't inherit a salvation by being born in a country or be having a grandmother or a dad who pray that doesn't work that way. You have to own it personally. Has that happened to you? Has it happened? No. The elusive concept that, that I think is in this passage for us. 
the elusive concept that is, uh, I think, helpful, possibly a cure, if you would, if I can go that far, a cure for burnout. And here it is. Because of what God has done for us, because of what he is doing in us, because of what he will do in the future, 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 all of these things, because of that, I can do this one thing, this elusive concept. Rest. I can rest. I can rest in what God has done. I can rest on what he's doing because he's in me and I can rest in what he will do in the future no matter how uptight and worried and anxious I am about it. I can rest that he's gonna be in my tomorrow. I can rest. You know what, we're good at a lot of things here, but not many of us are good at resting. Rest. That's the elusive concept. That's the concept that I go back to time and time again, the reality that I think that God has for all of us. If you are in his family, he wants you to understand the rest of what he has for you, this rest, rest, rest. You can rest in his Finished work, it is finished. He's done everything. He's gone the distance, he's paid the price. He's lived the perfect life in your place and my place. It is finished. If you receive him and say, yes, I can rest in the salvation that he earned for me. I'm gonna rest in his finished work. I'm gonna rest in his indwelling power. Christ in you, the hope of glory. His spirit lives in you. The spirit of Christ is in you. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of you. If you said yes to him, I can rest in his indwelling power. Just rest. I can also rest in his unfolding plan. God's not finished with you yet. God's not finished with me yet. God has an ongoing plan and purpose for you. You're just in this particular chapter, on this particular page. There are other pages and chapters to be written. Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite verses, a small verse in the New Testament says, I am sure that God who began the good work in you will keep on working in you. He will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. God's a finisher. What he started in salvation past and salvation present, he will finish in you. You can rest in his providence. You can rest in his ongoing plan and purposes for your life. No matter how tough the situation is right now, no matter how difficult it is right now, God's still working. He's working inside of you. He's working behind the scenes providentially see that his purposes play out in your life and in my life. You can rest. Just rest, 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 rest. God rested, didn't he? Sabbath day. Not because he needed to, but to show us 
We need rest. What about work? Got to work. I agree, we got to work. Somebody's got to go to work tomorrow. Got to work. But we work out of rest. We don't work to rest, we work out from rest. Just rest. Rest in what God has done for you. Rest that he's in your life. His power. Rest. That what God started, he's gonna finish. It's rest. On this super hype Super Bowl Sunday. But check this out. Companies today are gonna spend $6.5 million for every 30 seconds of commercial time. That's a lot of donuts, isn't it? That's a lot of dollarinis. 6.5 million for 30 seconds. And all these companies are betting. They're betting on one predominant emotion they're trying to stir in you and me. They're betting 6.5 mil on this. They're trying to stir that primary emotion, that primal emotion in you and me called discontentment. If they could just make us discontented for just a little bit, perhaps they can sell us something and that 6.5 million will be recouped and then some. It's how it works. And in the great while we're watching the Super Bowl today or others of us are watching the commercials, that's why we're there, and the food, that we can kind of watch and go, Psh, I don't need that. I'm content. Man, God has done so much for me today. I'm resting in God. I don't have to rest inside of that Tesla or I don't have to rest inside of whatever new thing they're selling us. I can rest in God in Christ. Learn to be content in Him.